in a complex world brimming with new ambitions. The best leaders create the best workplaces. This is the Oil & Gas Digital Doers podcast, where you can hear real stories about digital capabilities and a culture of empowerment with your host, Joanne Meyer. Welcome to the Oil & Gas Global Network's Digital Doers podcast. As the man said in the intro, this is I'm Joanne Meyer, and I'm here today with a good friend of mine, Ayula John Muyua. Yes, yes, thank yes. you. <laughs> um, but, and I'll make a mistake probably and call him Ayula. That is his name, but he goes by AJ. That's right. And uh, he says I'm one of the few people that still calls him Ayula. And my mom. So. <laughs> and he compares me to his mom, and there it is. And now you get an idea about the age difference between me and my guest today. But anyway, I'm thrilled to have him here today. Um, as I think I've mentioned before, when I took over this podcast from Michael O'Sullivan, um, not only do I want to talk, uh, take it in a direction where we talk obviously about all of the great things that uh, the oil and gas industry is doing with technology today and how it's changing all of our lives, but in my experience, particularly from a professional standpoint, the biggest change sometimes for me had to do with the culture and what it created and how empowering and enabling it was. And so for this podcast, I always like to have the ability to think a little bit and talk with my guests about the culture and, and how technology, kind of that intersection of technology and, and culture. So Ayula is going to be great. It's AJ. See, there it is. AJ is going to be great at this. Um, but before we jump into that, I do want to take just a couple of minutes and mention our sponsor. Um, and so um, HPE, they are bringing the cloud to you. That's their, the new line they're using with their GreenLake platform. And if you haven't had a chance, go by to hpe.com and take a look at that. Um, it's a, it's a, a really great uh, platform, and what they're, they're doing is really trying to make uh, access to your data in the cloud, try to make it easy so you can get it wherever you want, whenever you want, how often, stop it, start it, uh, making it very customized so they are bringing the cloud to you. And so uh, we're, we're very grateful for them. And, and um, speaking of technology, my guest today, AJ, he started out, he's a Houston Cougar, University of Houston. That's right. Go Cougs. Go Cougs. Right? And, um, and he started out in petroleum engineering. And then a funny thing happened on the way to graduation. And so I'm going to let AJ tell us a little bit about yourself and, uh, and your, how you started on this journey. Of course, of course. So I'll start with a funny thing. And the funny thing was I, uh, I was very close to, uh, to dropping out of college uh, on my way to get my petroleum engineering degree. Uh, I didn't. And uh, uh, I'll go back to, to a backstory sort of how I got there. <laughs> Um, so I, uh, I enrolled at the, uh, I guess, a little bit of backstory. So I was actually born uh, in Nigeria. Uh, I moved to the States uh, sometime around um, 2011. And I um, did some high school in Houston, Texas, and, and stayed in Houston, Texas for, for college uh, to the University of Houston. Uh, I studied uh, petroleum engineering. 
And uh, I was fortunate to, to get really good internships. So I ended up uh, interning with uh, all the major oil and gas companies, uh, Shell, uh, uh, BP, ExxonMobil, uh, and, and eventually Chevron. And uh, I had honestly a really amazing experiences. Uh, but I think while I was also in um, college, I got very interested in technology. I taught myself how to code, uh, learned a lot of uh, sort of you know, user design and things like that. And, and I think towards the latter part of college, I started working on a startup of my own. Um, I got really passionate about it and I considered uh, dropping out of college, but uh, ended up getting my degree and, uh, and now I'm uh, focused 100% on building um, products for, for uh, consumers. Yeah. And so uh, as um, AJ mentioned, he, he kind of worked for almost all of the big guys in oil and gas and when you graduated, then you went to work for Chevron. I did, I did. But not as a petroleum engineer. No, no, I, I moved. So when I graduated, um, I had actually, um, I had been on the track to, so after I did, I did a few technical internships. So, so at ExxonMobil, for example, I, I was a, a production engineer um, in East Texas. And so I was out there um, doing what you might expect, uh, designing gas lift systems and optimizing our wells and, and things like that. And... It was a lot of fun, you know, just driving around the field. It was my first time um, kind of, you know, being in the middle of nowhere, like going through somebody's, you know, fence and like seeing a deer <laughs> on my way to the oil wall. Um, and, and it was a lot of fun. Um, but I had also uh, done other internships. So when I was at BP, I actually did a, a trading internship. Um, and prior to that, I'd, I'd interned at Goldman Sachs doing sort of derivative trading. And I got really interested in sort of the commodities markets and, and, and things like that. So BP had a really good um, trading program that I, I was fortunate to get into. And I just enjoyed every second of it. You know, I learned how um, different oil producers had to manage their risk. So when you're producing a bunch of oil and gas and you don't want to um, you want to essentially manage your risk. So if you're if you're investing a bunch of money into producing a bunch of a bunch of oil, you want to make sure you can sell that oil at a higher price. If not, you're at risk. And so a lot of uh, producers, what they actually do is they use financial contracts to pre-sell their oil and gas before they produce it. And so that was kind of like market I was in. I, I got really excited about it. And then you know we also did some sort of speculative trading. You know we would know like anticipate sort of what was going on. You know when is there going to be a hurricane next week? And based on that, you know our price is going to be affected. So it was a really cool experience. Um, and I had gotten into that. I was kind of interested in that. Um, but then I'd also started a, a technology company that was even more exciting and more mission driven, and, and, and that got me a lot more passionate. And uh, when I finally graduated college, um, I was planning to just focus 100% on like going to you know work on my company, um, and so I ended up declining all my offers uh, from technical uh, job offers um, at ExxonMobil to you know trading offers at, at BP. Um, and then, funny enough, I, I ran into uh, this lady. She was um, uh, the head of uh, upstream technology at, at, uh, at Chevron. And she actually convinced me to join Chevron and work on the digital effort. At that time, um, Chevron just got the new CEO, and there was this whole like culture and interest and digital innovation in the space, and that got me really excited. So um, I took a job as a digital program manager, um, and I was focused 100% on um, a, a new initiative at Chevron at that time to build uh, digital products that would disrupt the uh, supply chain um, business and deliver a million dollar, a billion dollars in value. So uh, it was a lot of fun. I can tell you more about it, uh, but uh, that's that's what I did when I got out of college. 
But even before, and I can't remember, this was right when you and I met. So I'm trying to remember. I don't know what year exactly you were in right. at university. But, you know, even when you first took your first internship, I think it was the first one with BP in the, for trading, you know, even then, the first thing is you recognized a gap or you recognized kind of a deficiency. And, you know, tell us a little bit about w- what you did technologically, technologically wise to make your job and others a little easier. Right. So, so yeah, that's what's interesting. I think the, you know, let me tell you actually something I've never, I don't think I've, I've ever shared with you before, but when I first applied to college, I applied to study computer engineering, actually. Oh, um, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because I had always been growing up and I just always been interested in, in computers. And, you know, obviously growing up in Nigeria, I didn't always have access to like a computer. Um, but I, I remember building my first website on my cell phone. And so I, my plan was to study computer engineering. Um, and then I think about a couple weeks into the program, I was like, uh, I don't think like you know, Houston was the best place to study computer engineering because, you know, at that time it just felt like a lot of the, you know, cutting edge, like, you know, technology and and computer kind of technology work was happening in like California. So I thought, hmm, maybe I should have went to the the West Coast to this. And and so I had to kind of think like, okay, I'm in Houston, like what else could be interesting um, to work on here? And that's when like oil and gas kind of came into my radar and I was like, I'm going to be a petroleum engineer. And, you know, I ended up enjoying it and loving it. But I think my passion had always kind of been in like core, you know, computer technology. And so, um, so I had uh, one of the like primary things I did to sort of uh, help myself was just like teaching myself how to code, which I'm I'm really happy with. Um, and and so when I when I was working at BP, I was interning there. Um, I found an opportunity. Um, what was happening was there was a lot of uh, transactions happening on the open exchange. And you think about an open exchange, think about it like you know like a big platform like Amazon, where people are buying and selling. You can kind of see all the data of what's being bought and sold. Um, but there was also a more uh, opaque market, kind of like think about Craigslist, right? People are buying and selling, but you don't know, you know, who is meeting who, who's buying what. There's no really data tracking. And so um, in, in the world of finance and commodities trading, it's called a, a over-the-counter transaction, OTC. And so it's where basically one company shake hands with another company and says, I'll buy your gas and, you know, at this price. Um, but it wasn't publicly documented. Uh, however, due to regulate, re, you know, regulations, those transactions still had to be reported um, in some sort of database. The problem at that time was no one could make sense of what the data was in the public uh, database, um, and and the data was like extremely fragmented, and so no one could really uh, take advantage of the information. Not easily. Exactly, yeah. not easily. And so the opportunity was well, if we could figure it out, then you know we kind of had uh, an edge in the market. Um, and we could make better trading decisions. And, and so I was able to uh, uh, co- come up with a model, um, some software that figured out the, the data and made the information yeah. available to our traders in real time. And uh, it, was, it was a very successful yeah. um, project and, and you know, made a lot of money from it and you know, got a return offer um, um, based off, the, off of that project. But I think for me, like, that really opened my eyes to like, oh, like, you know, with just a little understanding of technology, there's a lot of impact to be made in this industry. And, and that got me really fascinated. Okay. So, yeah, I didn't know. And that, that makes a lot of sense now because every, you know, you, and you mentioned, you know, I think kind of this mission, this purpose, I mean, making things better um, is something that, that kind of you know, drives you. Right. Um, whether it was your own startup um, or um, like even if even if that job so so that's interesting right um, and so tell me let's talk a little bit about so tell me what you think since you've worked for these these big guys several of them what do you think 
they're 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 doing right. They're getting right as far as uh, having technology. You know, is kind of uh, empowering in their their organizations. Right. So so um, I, to be honest, I'm very 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 fascinated by the kind of technology that like you know the big oil and gas companies are building. I mean, you you think about some of these offshore platforms. You know, the engineering that goes into like placing one of these offshore platforms and building drill rigs and drilling into the ground, you know, 10,000 feet and staring while drilling and sensing while drilling. I mean, the in terms of the mechanical technology, I think it's just like incredible. You know, like I, I would compare like an ExxonMobil to like, you know, a, a NASA or SpaceX in that sense. Like um, uh, in terms of digital technology, I think that's where the, the big opportunity is. Um, I think that's where a lot of the um, sort of Silicon Valley companies, because they're native to digital, they never really had to build a drill rig, you know. Um, all they had to do was, like, write software. And uh, and I think the culture of building software is, like, very different from the culture of building, uh, of, of drilling into the ground and, and Steel fracturing Steel and it. cement. Exactly. And, yeah. It's just a different culture. You know, I, I think about a lot of aerospace companies, you know. One of the things they, they've done in the past, like the Boeings of the world, you know, they, they build a lot of really, you know, classified things. So, so at every stage of building a new rocket, for example, everything is classified. You know, they spend years planning it, years building it, and then there's like a big unveil. Um, but it's very different in, 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 in sort of Silicon Valley technology culture, right? Like from day one, everything is open, everything is transparent. The first version is like usually really shitty. And then the next version is like a little less shitty until we get to a final version. Um, I think that culture change, that paradigm shift in, in terms of building stuff is, is what makes the big difference in digital technology. So there's something around the visibility and everybody kind of being in on it. And the, the, the you don't need the same level of precision right. that you do, uh, that you don't need that in the Silicon Valley, the tech, as you do in something that is the mechanical, the operational where there's a very high safety kind of risk. Exactly. I think there's a space for operational excellence and safety. Uh, And I think there's a space for just open, fast, quick iteration. And I think part of the opportunity is recognizing when to turn the uh, hat of like, okay, we need to be 100% operationally excellent versus, oh, we just need to try this out. Yes. And I think yeah. sometimes it's hard for one company to think in both ways, yep. but that's kind of what we must get okay, to. So that's that's an interesting way. It is tough right. to be able to do both. A hundred percent. Well. Exactly. Yep. yep. Um, so that's great. So so that's a, a little bit. Is there anything else? What, do, what, do you, what else do you think, um, Ayula, that, well, first of all, just tell us a little bit about what you're doing now. Yes. So, so when you left Chevron. Right. Uh, first of all, what 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 drove you? What was behind your decision to? Because you were there two years, right? I was there for about a year and a half. Uh, so so I'll talk a little bit what I was working on at Chevron. So at Chevron, uh, I was working on building um, building like software. And so one of the cool um, software uh, we built was uh, a way for um, contractors to get paid quicker. And so if you think about the way oil field services work, a contractor might do some work on the field, and then they have to like 
to get paid, they have to chase down the foreman or, who, or the engineer that's on duty. And they, you know, sometimes it can take weeks to sort of get the right person to put a signature on a, on a piece of paper. Um, and so we envision a, a way to do it better. So a way to, one, for example, if, if work was done in a well, if a well was case, is there a way to automatically determine that it was done? Maybe we camera is at, at, the well, uh, at the site and then automatically approve the transaction, automatically deliver the payment to the, to the contractor. So you can take a process that takes you know, two weeks to a month and make it happen, you know, within a day, within hours, and free up, thereby freeing up working capital for our contractors. And so that was like sort of, you know, one of the opportunities we pursued. And there were other things that I thought were really cool. Um, and I was, I was having a good, good time. We, we hired some of the best, um, you know, consultants into the, into the company at that time. And, um, and then there was a, a and then the market started, uh, the, the energy market started tanking. I think this was around sort of when COVID uh, was happening. And if you remember back then, there was just, there was also sort of like a downturn in, in the market. And, you know, when, when there's a downturn in the market, you know, companies typically go to kind of shrink to what they're really good at. Um, and so I could see the writing on the wall that like all the digital things were going to kind of slow down, slow down. Um, and, and so for me, uh, I, I kind of knew I had to leave to continue to pursue. Um, and, and what I was interested in was like, oh, well, I want to know, like, you know, why is a Google and a Facebook and an Amazon, why do they continue to invest in technology and digital, you know, innovation at this scale, even in, in, in tough times? And how do you do it effectively? So that was kind of my goal. And, and my mission was like, yeah, I want to move to Silicon Valley and experience it. And, and I got the opportunity to, to work at Facebook and work on um, the core Facebook app, uh, Instagram and Reels and stories and stuff like that. And I learned a lot about what was different about their culture, the way they worked, the way they, the way they, um, uh, thought about innovation, the way they thought about building products uh, that was very different from how um, previous companies I've worked at had, had thought about it. Okay. And I, I also remember a conversation back about then that you continued to have these aspirations around um, honing your skill, if you will, getting really, really good at um, developing right. software, writing code, whatever. And I can remember you saying, I want to go somewhere mm-hmm. where I can learn from kind of these best developers. Right. And you said that might not be in the oil and gas, with an oil and gas company. Yeah, yeah. So think, let me, let me put in things in perspective, right? So so let's say you are a really, really smart software engineer. Um, you know, I don't, you know, I think some of the smartest engineers probably don't even go to school. But let's say, you know, for, for the sake of uh, analogy, let's say you're a bright software engineer. You just graduated from Stanford. The world is your oyster. Um, and you have the choice of like, okay, where do I want to go work? And where do I want to go build um cool things uh you on one end you know you have you have a company like ExxonMobil where you know ExxonMobil is you know obviously changing the world like you know providing energy to the world the mission is very clear uh, there's operational excellence everything is like amazing um you know solid institution um and then you have another company like Airbnb where you know Airbnb is a, is a relatively new company and they you know their business they're in the business of making it possible for everyone to travel everywhere right um very different kinds of company and then you're thinking, well, you know, both of them sound pretty cool. I can probably work for one of them. And then Exxon is like, yeah, well, you know, you have to pack your bags and come to Houston and work at our headquarters. And Airbnb is like, yeah, you can actually work anywhere, um, not just in the country, but anywhere in the world. And we're actually going to pay you uh, as if you worked in uh, San Francisco, even if you're working in Bali or, or Thailand. And, and we don't really care where you, where you work. Um, and so... Now the choice is yours. Like as as this bright, you know, software engineer, like where do you want to go? Well, yeah. I, you know, like working at MEV sounds kind of cool now, right? right. Because I, I just have this flexibility, and, right. and, so, and so I think the th- the opportunity here is like a lot of the smartest kids that have options. Um, 
it, it's very competitive. And so I think, I think usually you would find that some of the smartest people end up deciding to go work for these tech companies or these consulting companies. And the big part is because of the uh, perks they're afforded mm-hmm. um, that traditional companies aren't quite caught up to yet. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so that's, I, I, yeah, I think that's, and that's, uh, you know, that's a challenge. I, I think I, I don't think I'm speaking out of turn here for the oil and gas industry, or for that matter, just about you know any of the uh, very well-established kind of conventional type companies, is this you know talent you know has become uh, a little scarce. Right. I mean, you can just look at the population uh, uh, data and see you know where we're headed there, but the the talent is scarce, and so attracting that talent and retaining it. It's a challenge. It's and, hard. Yeah. I'll give you an example. So at Facebook, where, where I used to work at, um, uh, you, you had free food at the office 24-7. There was free free food at the office. And it wasn't just like, you know, like a snack or a pizza. It was like, you know, a steak. And then there's also free, um, there, there are nap rooms where you can go take a nap. There was uh, free laundry on campus so you can get your laundry done. Um, there uh, was, um, uh, you get unlimited PTO unlimited time off, unlimited sick days, things like that. Um, and then, um, and that was, you know, pretty, pretty attractive. You, you, you get free ice cream on campus. Uh, you get free, there are these vending machines that like, if you need a charger, you can just go like get a charger from the vending machine. And so a lot of those perks, like they sound like small things and like a company like, you know, BP or Chevron could easily afford those perks. But, um, you know, the Googles of the world and the Facebooks of the world are actually providing those perks to their employees. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, for a young, you know, 23-year-old that's looking for a, a career, I mean, that sounds quite nice to have a, you know, a nap room at the office. Yeah. <laughs> we know, it's interesting because um, my, my guest um, last week, and I, can't, I, I need to remember what episode it was, but and, and I can't. But was um, a, a gentleman. Uh, his name is David Powell, and he was the president. Well, he was along with Jason Wright, but but David was talking about. Um, he's the president of a company called uh, Protoscore, hmm. and he made a comment about it's a it's a an employee productivity monitoring hmm. software and, and tool. But he made an interesting comment, which reminds me a little bit about what you're saying. Is, is that he talked about the fact that for a long time, decades probably, um, many of us, I was a, a manager at one point in time, many of us have time at the office as a proxy hmm. for productivity. Right. You know, and I think when you talk about everything that the Facebooks of the world mm-hmm. uh throw, if you will, mm-hmm. at their talent, mm-hmm. it, it just I, made me wonder, I, it sounds like to me mm-hmm. that the, the value that um, AJ mm-hmm. delivers mm-hmm. and everyone else like AJ, mm-hmm. they have a much better handle on what that value is, right. uh, that productivity. Right. It's I don't, I'm not going to say it's easier, but whatever mm-hmm. it is, they believe that they understand that. And as a result, they, they don't have to focus. They don't focus or have to focus so much on the cost. Right. The, because they, they understand that value. I don't know if I'm thinking about that right or not. Yeah. So, so the way I think about it, you know, you're right. It's, it's a culture thing, right? I used to, I used to, I once interned at Goldman Sachs, you know, big Wall Street finance company. And, you know, part of the culture there was like, you know, you worked 
many hours and you felt proud of it, right? We bragged about how many hours we worked and how much time we put in, um, which is very different from, you know, working as a software engineer at like, at like a tech company, you know, like a Google, right? Like you brag about how many naps you take. <laughs> um, and, and the reason is because um, you're right, like, you know, your productivity doesn't, it's not measured by how many hours you work. Your productivity ought to be measured by the kind of impact you make. And so I remember vividly when I first joined Facebook, I was, you know, scheduling meetings with like my engineers and I scheduled a meeting with one of the engineers and, you know, he was one of the most productive engineers and I scheduled a meeting at like 11 a.m. And he declined a meeting and he sent me a note. He was like, hey, I don't wake up until 1 p.m. And I was like, oh, like, cool. (laughs) And uh, that was kind of like a a switch in my head. Like, That was was a very different thing your past job. A very different thing, a different job where you kind of had to be, you know, in the office by seven, eight o'clock. and I think I think to your point, the the most important thing is just like recognizing like what is impact, you know, and like does it have to be done at a certain hour of the day? Like, you know, in all honesty, like how many of us are really, you know, at the office for eight hours just like producing, producing, producing? It's like, no, it's you know, it's okay to take a thirty minute well, break. It makes you actually a lot more yep. effective. Yeah. So I'm gonna say something that David Powell said um, last week as well, and he said, you know with this this tool that we have and they've you know they're taking data and then they they're putting their algorithm at it right mm-hmm. to come up with some kind of productivity score that that managers and leaders can use mm-hmm. and um the, you know one of the points he was making is that w- when we do this we have to get people past this notion of being in school hmm. where 90 percent is what you're shooting for he said that is not what we're shooting for right we're you know if you're the 40 to 60 ish that's a good productivity hmm, score, right? Um, and uh, and I think it's back to this notion of um, it, it's not just about grinding out, mm-hmm. you know, the hours, right? Um, it is about the notion that maybe um, it actually makes a lot of sense to take a break, right? right? And go socialize or, or, or go for a walk or whatever, right, right. as far as your ability then to um, make an impact with the decisions you're making or what you're creating or whatever. Right, right. They ought to be tangible goals. I think this is actually a bigger kind of conversation around just how performance is managed in companies. I think the most successful companies spend a lot of time figuring out a good performance management system as well as a great like organizational like structure culture and leadership i think like those things are very crucial and as technical people we don't think a lot about at least i never used to care like you know about managers and mbas and all these people like what are they doing (laughs) but i think like actually just like you know having a good performance management system like there's a big there's a big um uh, in 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 game theory, there's this whole uh, there's this idea of like a principal agent problem, and the idea is like you know the principal at a company like the CEO or the founder or whatever right always kind of wants the company to be successful and like they're going to do everything in, in the company's best interest, but the employees like they're not going to do everything in the company's best interest. They're going to do everything in their best interest, right? Like, for, you know, the CEO obviously wants the company to be successful, but an employee uh, might just want to get a promotion Job. the next yeah, year yeah, yeah, or a right, raise right. or, you know, a, a, yeah. you know, move to a different team. And so the things they prioritize, the things they do, um, if you don't have a good performance rating system, you're going to sort of incentivize wrong behaviors, right? You're not going to prioritize what's going to make the company successful. Next, you know, in 10 years, you're going to prioritize what's going to make them successful in, in three months. And, you know, if you celebrate that, then it's at the detriment of the actual mission and the goal of the company. Hmm. Okay. So that's interesting. And ideally, you know, that I think that's right. I think the, the companies want their people to be, like, perfectly aligned. Right. 
And I kind of think I hear what you're saying is, yes, that's, it's not that that's bad. It's just that do you have to have that? Or perhaps you can uh, be reaching the company goals if people are developing and they uh, have goals of their own and the things, the good things that they are doing and the, the goodness that they feel. Um, actually, it could benefit, but maybe not in a, a, a perfectly the way it's been defined. Uh, that it, maybe it's not that clear. It's not a straight line. I know for sure uh, I've been an entrepreneur that kind of pains me to even say that for, gosh, almost a decade now. And I have some other friends who have been entrepreneurs, and we talk all the time about the fact it is not a straight line. Mm-mm. It's a, it's a, it's described as a, a drunken walk. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> so, so yeah, being, you know, the first couple of months, years of entrepreneurship, you, you know, having no idea, it's, uh, yeah, you just kind of, yeah, you know, yeah. And so, it, so that's interesting. And I think, and I know why we have to have performance management systems. I totally get it. Right. Uh, but there is maybe this this shift, and a lot of the younger folks like yourself, they're they're kind of operating in a little slightly different uh, different way. You mentioned to me when we we talked once when after you had uh, gone to Facebook, mm-hmm. um, you mentioned about that one of the big things that you thought was different mm-hmm. from some of the more established companies that you had come from, and it was all around uh, what people at those companies and the leaders and what they're talking about yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah. D- would you tell us so so this yeah. one is this one is actually uh funny i when i when i was uh when i was working at uh, chevron you know we had all these um consultants that would come in and teach us about like agile and coaches and, and stuff like that and, and a lot of the language used around the company was oh we need to transform we need digital transformation we need to be agile um and and um and when I went to Facebook, I realized no one talked about agile. No one mentioned that word. It wasn't part of the lexicon uh, of of the people that work there. And what I actually realized is like, well, the reason why you're not talking about it is because you're actually living it. Like, it's just the way they work, the way people act, the way people behave was just naturally agile. If that makes sense. So it's like it's like a fish doesn't talk about being in the water. They just they just yeah. in the water. And I think uh, that was like a big thing I, I observed. So, I mean, we all know this, right? As leaders, we, I mean, every leadership training you're ever going to go to is going to talk about the importance of walking the talk, hmm. right? Um, but, you know, what I hear you saying is, yes, that's pretty important. And there was, it was just noticeable. It was very noticeable. Yeah. It was, like, obvious that, like, you know, because, you know, when I, when I worked at, you know, some of the big oil and gas companies, right, we could have a project and... You know, the first week we would talk about the project and the next week we would talk about what we're going to do to achieve the project. And the week after that, we're going to meet again to like align on the goals for meeting the project. And then the week after that, we're going to talk about, you know, risks and mitigations for the project. And then the week after and then maybe like two months time, we actually like execute. the. We actually decide to hire a contractor to come in and execute the project. And then it takes them another month. And then like, you know, it's like a, it's like Q1 is over and we okay yay, we're, we were done with the project. You know, like at a Facebook, you talk about the project in the morning and then by like 4 p.m. You're coding. The, you're- the, yeah, the MVP for the project's already underway. The next day you launch it and then it's, you know, it, it might suck a little bit. And then throughout that week, you like iterate on it. And then by Friday, the project is fully deployed, fully working and fully, you know, just functional. And then you move on to the next thing. And that's just very different, yeah. um, but but much quicker and much more effective. Yeah. And so that's, and, and I, like we said, I mean, obviously, 
you know, there's something about, you know, the scale and the mechanics and the operations. I, I get all that. Mm-hmm. But but I do think there is something. And so let me ask you, you did you ever have a project like that at Facebook where you kind of launched something in a week or two or whatever? Um, and so then it goes out into the marketplace and then you forget about it? Yeah, so so we, many. So so when I was working at Facebook, I mean, one of the things I worked on was, um, was uh, Facebook Lite, which was our app for emerging markets. It was about a billion um, uh, monthly active users. And uh, I mean, we launched a new feature like every week to a billion users um, every single week, week in, week out. It was a new feature, like a new you know, obvious feature going out to users. And we also were big on like experimentation. I think this is actually funny because, you know, traditional engineers, I mean, we, we grew up on the scientific method and hypothesis testing and whatnot. But like when it comes to the big tech companies, it's a science, right? You build something, you measure it, you record data, you try to understand if it's like having an intended effect. Um, and then if it is, you kind of, you know, let it be. If it's not, you delete it try something else but so but you're the point is once it gets out there you kind of are tracking it a little bit yes and if it's if it's a bomb well then we won't we'll do just, that again or right what? yeah if it's, if it's not working we just delete it and, and yeah. try something else Try something else um whereas you know when you think about the, the core business of of a big company like a chevron on exxon you know if you put a platform out in the ocean and it's not working you can't just delete it right you know so right. it, it makes sense that we're going to spend more time planning that or we're going to spend more time planning the well right. um but you can't take that same mentality when you're trying to build software it's just you yeah. have to operate differently, differently. when you're building software yeah. okay great so I, we've we've we're 30 minutes into this and we don't know anything about what you're doing now of so course. tell me what's the difference number one tell us what you're doing now and then talk just a little bit about even the difference in the culture Right uh, at Facebook and where you are now. Yes, yeah, so so now I'm 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 the I'm leading product at a um, venture backed uh, Silicon Valley startup. So we are a new social media app, and uh, the goal is to kind of build a, a new platform for like young kids to express themselves better than they currently can on like Instagram or TikTok and whatnot. And uh, we raised about five million dollars from Lightspeed Ventures, the same investors in Snapchat, and. Um, you know, we're moving even faster than we, we used to move at Facebook. So now um, we're kind of going through that stage where I was talking about the drunken walk, where you sort of like building this product, you kind of have an idea of, you know, who, who, who it's for, what you want it to be. But it's kind of like, you know, I only guess it's like exploration, right? You're trying to like survey the land, do some seismic, you're trying to figure out if there's any oil there, you know. Where to, to, where, to, where to drill that? Yeah, where do I drill it, hole, right? Yeah. So, so that's kind of it's very similar, you know, with like a software startup. It's like you're trying to figure out like, okay, this is working, this isn't working. Um, what, you know, let's try to, you know, dial this up a little bit. And so that that's sort of the journey I'm on right now, just trying to like figure out what it takes to build, you know, a number one app, for example. And, you know, it comes with, obviously you need to get the engineering right and build the actual product right. But a lot of it is just like, you know, really, really leaning into like user research, understanding your customer, understanding what their needs are, what their desires are, and trying to build really, really quickly. So like build a new feature within a day. So we can go from idea in the morning to like we've shipped something in the hands of a thousand users by 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 the evening. And then we just see how they react to it. And if it doesn't work, we'll roll it back, ship something else. And just that idea of just like constantly iterating. Um, and you never really know where you're going to end up, but you kind of hope you're iterating forward. Right. Right, and so what 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 drove you? What what drove you to to leave Facebook and and go over here to the startup? Yeah, so I'm on a personal journey to just like one understand exactly what it takes to build a product 
from idea to hey, there's 7 billion people using this product. <laughs> and you know, very few products have achieved that kind of scale, right? You can count them. Things like Facebook, for example, or like WhatsApp, or um, you know, Google, or I think you know, even in more modern times, like you have things like Uber that have grown from idea to like massive product. Um, but they've done it very quickly, right? They've done it in, in the past, right? You make a car and then it takes like a decade for the car to become you know, popular. But now it's like you make an app and then within you know, a year, everyone, like He's there's either, billions of people using it. They either are or they aren't. Exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so so I'm on a journey to like understand exactly what it takes to do that and then, you know, go build something that does that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so that's kind of, you know, what's what's driving Excellent. me. Yeah. Excellent. And so um, having spent a lot of early time, I mean, wh- what are you, five years out of university? Are we about five? Or? I'm not even five years out yet. Okay. I'm like, okay. <laughs> okay. And, and, but you're following that curve that, you know, all the research folks kept telling us that this younger generation, they're not going to go to work for a company and stay right, there. Right. That's you. you you're right. you're, exactly. <laughs> I have, uh, I don't think I've worked uh, more than like a year and a half for okay. any company since okay. I've, yeah, since all right. I've graduated. So, um, I think it's fine. I think, yeah. you know, it's like, it's we're in a modern age, you know, it's okay to do that. Yeah. yeah. To, to go to different companies. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it is too, obviously, obviously it is. Um, so any, we're going to wrap up here and I just wonder any advice for us folks that have been around a, a little longer or for the industry that you kind of started in any, any thoughts that that you know that you've really learned i'd say don't be like don't be scared of bringing in younger sort of inexperienced new talent into the into your organizations i think it's okay like bring them in and welcome them and try to create a space that's like welcoming for them because they're they're extremely creative so like the younger um people that are coming into the workforce um you might perceive them as like disruptive but you know part of it is just they're just extremely creative they're digital natives they were born they were born into a world where snapchat existed they were born into a world where like emojis existed right they they just they just think differently and they think a lot more creatively so like let's make space for them and and uh you know let's let's mentor them guide them but like really try to make space for them to just do their best work um and and try to uh help them align with like their missions and their goals and support them. Um, I think, I think, um, I think that's, that's the, the biggest thing I'll leave. It's, you know, if you don't do it, the, the big tech companies will. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's probably a word to end on <laughs> if, uh, for the companies that, that, that don't, won't, or whatever, there's probably someone out there that will. Right. Yeah. That's right. great. Well, AJ, thank you so much Thank you for, for being here today and, uh, love the conversation and, um, you know, look forward to, to hearing more. Absolutely. Yeah, this was amazing. And um, And I'm trying to use faves. (laughs) I'm trying and I love it. And I think it looks so powerful. Yeah. And but, you know, I'm someone that, you know, learned to post three years ago on LinkedIn. So, you know, my learning curve is pretty steep here. Well, it doesn't help that the app looks different every week, too. So (laughs) and and I'm going to blame you for that. We're just we're trying to figure out what works. There you go. Well, thank you. I I suspect I may not be your core audience. But but anyway, um, thank you so much, AJ. And so this wraps up our conversation with AJ on um, kind of culture and technology and oil and gas and how all that fits together. So thank you for uh, AJ. Thank you to you. And thank you for those of you that hit all the right buttons so that you could join us this week on the Digital Doers podcast on the OGGN um, community of podcasts. And they are the largest oil and gas 
podcast uh, community in the world, uh, most downloaded. And also thank you to our sponsor, HPE. Um, go and check out their website, hpe.com, um, Green Lake. You'll see a uh, place there where you can go take a look at that. And there's some really great testimonials. They do a much better job at me than, than talking about all the great things, the, uh, uh, the, how, how uh, valuable it is when you bring the cloud to you. So thank you again, and until the next episode. Come back next week for another venture into the real world of the best digital doers in the oil and gas industry. A production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.